Hello everybody, how you doing? Hope all is well. This is Perizopoulos. Welcome back to another episode of Shot of Philosophy. And let's work on anxiety today. So we're going to be taking some ideas from Seneca, from the School of Life, which is a great source. They have a lot of free articles online that are great. That's Alain de Bouton's project. And we're also going to be taking a little bit from Epictetus. So I want to start off with the title of the article from the School of Life and two short quotes, one from Seneca, one from Epictetus, that I think explain or help to explain a little bit what the article is trying to get at. So the article is called On Trying to Cold the Future. And I think that's a part of why we feel anxious, right? Not only do we predict the future incorrectly at times, or we predict the future in ways that are biased, in ways that are affected by our conceptions or understandings of our past, and a lot of those things are false, are not true, are not helpful, right? Don't serve us in any way, don't help anybody else. But not only do we do that, and I think in a sense trying to predict is a mode of control, but we want to exert some type of influence on this thing that hasn't even happened yet. All these events that are outside of our control. So that's an interesting title, and we'll get more into that, of course. And then the two quotes I want to share, the first one is from Epictetus, the Enchiridion. This is a famous quote. I love it. Short, powerful. He told his students, don't demand that things happen as you wish, but wish that they happen as they do and that you will go on well. So what is this short quote telling us? Well, the same thing as the title, right? On trying to control the future. Epictetus is saying, don't do that. To say, don't demand that things happen as you wish, that's saying, don't try to control it. Step away from that. And I think practically when you start tuning into your own thoughts, whether it's, you know, you start thinking about your own thinking, as I always do, I see just writing about it, right? But you see how demanding you are. You see maybe how you're trying to control the future. By even, as I said, crafting an image of the future, we're trying to exert some control. And again, we should try to, to some extent, have an image of our future. We should have a direction. We should have some goals. Seneca famously said to right, well, look, you're going to suffer soon enough. So when you think about the future, try to at least let it be pleasant. I would add to that, try to think mostly about what's probable, what's most likely to be true. And as we have with the Stoics, right, examine the possible things that would go wrong. But this idea of trying to control, this idea of trying to place demands on the future, it's naturally human, which is why we address it, right? And we're going to talk about cows and dogs in a minute. But as a species, we're naturally empowered with this crazy, you know, powerful imagination. So we have to learn how to control it. So the idea, he's saying, don't demand things happen as you wish. I think that's like, because he knows we're going to do that. He knows that's a part of what it means to be human. And the article on trying to control the future really addresses it nicely. Like, we have to get better at this. We're going to do it, right? Being anxious for the school of life and other articles, and, you know, psychology says this, other philosophies say this too. It's a natural part of being a person. We're all anxious at some, at some point. Now, the hope would be that we can control it such that it doesn't truly damage our happiness, damage our ability to function in ways that, you know, are severe. But it's, you know, it's a natural thing, too. So we want to control it, and we want to see when we're making demands. And ultimately, as Epictetus is saying here, is, well, we have to work on, you know, not doing that as much. And he's not only just saying don't do it, because that would be you know, easier said than done, of course. But he's telling us to shift our focus to what? Well, this is philosophy is the art of living, right? This is self-care. Focus on the idea that you will go on well. 
What does that mean? Well, for Stoics, it means you remain virtuous. This person at work is probably going to be rude. Okay, I'm not going to sit here in the car the day before demanding or trying to control things. I'm going to acknowledge that this person might be rude. And then I'm going to prepare myself to respond and maybe teach them in a, as kind a way as possible how to not be rude. And I also am going to try to prepare myself such that my calm, my peace is not ruined for the rest of the day. And we can do that. But we first have to understand that we cannot control the future. And to make demands on the future will more often than not lead to us being unhappy and will lead to anxiety. Because I think ultimately, too, we know as much as we try that we can't control the future. We know it's unpredictable. We know it's unknown. We have to confront that fact that it's unknown, that it's unpredictable, that it's uncontrollable. And then from there, start making healthier decisions for ourselves and with others. So he's telling his students to shift their thinking away from the possible events back into themselves. And this does not, you know, this is not selfish. Think about how much healthier relationships might be if we came to terms with the idea that we don't know, they're unpredictable. And instead we were like, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to maintain, to use the Stoics, right, of course, maintain my justice towards others. I'm going to treat people there fairly. I'm going to treat people there wisely. I'm going to think before I act, no matter what. And I'm going to think and act with the aims of being courageous and being fair and kind of disciplining myself and aiming towards balance, right? That would really impact us positively. And of course, we also say, I'm going to keep my peace. And by saying, I mean, we have to tell ourselves that when you're going into a situation that's unknown, right? The school of life in this article talks about what will happen a year from now or what, uh, what the results of the test might be, or let's say the, what the results of the job interview might be, right? Whatever it is. It's normal for our thoughts to say, oh, I really hope it goes this way. That's a demand. You're trying to control what's going to happen. Okay, it's normal. But we can maybe decrease the frequency and the intensity of those thoughts by interrupting them with the idea, you know what? Whether I get the job or not, I'm going to make sure I stay calm. I'm going to make sure I don't, if I get a no, I'm going to make sure I stay fair to the people around me that I'm going to see later that day. We have to have these conversations. Again, these, these are conversations about work on the soul. When we're talking about maintaining our virtue in the face of life's unknowns, in the face of the future's unknowns, or let's say the inherently unknown nature of the future, we're doing some pretty serious soul work there. It's going to help us. It's going to help everyone around us, right? So how are you demanding about the future? How do you try to control the future? And how does it make you feel? For me, this usually makes me feel pretty bad. This doesn't make me feel more peaceful when I'm too wrapped up in trying to plan and control the future. And I think Seneca, with his quote, really highlights that. He says, quote, we are plunged by our blind desires into ventures which will harm us, but certainly will never satisfy us. For if we could be satisfied with anything, we should have been satisfied long ago. Nor do we reflect how pleasant it is to demand nothing, how noble it is to be contented and not to be dependent upon luck. That, to me, applies really nicely to this conversation about the future. Desire is always in the future, right? So our desires throw us into stuff that's going to mess us up. And it could even just be thinking too much about desire is going to mess us up. As I said in the last episode, the future, or, you know, to think too much about the future, even if it's positive, we have to reel it in. We have to stop it. Because then as you start wanting the thing that you were striving for, the happiness is in the process, it's in the striving, it's in the progress, it's in the questions, it's in the engagement with the moment. But when we start thinking too much about the future, again, even in a, quote, positive sense, and we're too driven by desire, 
it's eventually going to get harmful. And it'll never satisfy us because we're training ourselves to always want. We're training ourselves to always try to control a future that is not yet. And then when we get to that moment, the achievement in quotes, we just, we're so trained to want more, we plunge back into ventures by our blind desire. We're training blind desire when we do this. Instead of training what we had last episode, which is, this is enough for you. Take loving action in the moment and feel full as a result of that. Right, to demand nothing. Again, maybe nothing's a big word. I think that's a fair assessment. I wouldn't say demand nothing. But we could try to demand nothing in a moment. We could try to have a day where we have no demands or a day where we have fewer demands or maybe even a morning when we don't make demands. Right? And there is no ability to be content. To say to be dependent upon luck, for the Stoics, and I agree with this, luck exists. Luck is real. You can't make your own luck. That's not true. Luck is its own thing. You can increase the probability something will happen by taking certain actions, but luck is its own entity for, this, for a lot of the Stoics, and I agree with that as well. So to be dependent on luck is to say, tomorrow has to go like this. If it goes like this, I'll be happy. If my expectations are not met, I will be unhappy. Or we just focus on getting our expectations met, crafting the expectations, and we never even talk about ourselves. To talk about or to refer to Epictetus for a second, we don't even say, right, if it goes well, I'll be happy, and then in that happiness, I'll make sure I'm virtuous. We're so focused on the events. We're so focused on the results. And then, of course, for Stoics, we want to acknowledge, well, maybe it won't go my way, but I'll still be fair. I'll still be kind. I'll still be, at least, I'll find some kind of joy or usefulness or something if things don't go exactly my way. So, of course, we can work to make better predictions, but we have to understand that, again, this attempt to control these demands, if they're too frequent, if they're too intense, they're going to cause us problems, right? They're going to affect our peace negatively. And we have to come to terms with the idea that things are out of our control. Things are unknown, right? And the School of Life in their article, I think, really comments on that nicely. So again, it's called On Trying to Control the Future. It's available at theschooloflife.com. Go to articles and click on com. There's a bunch of great stuff um, that you can examine there. And just to share a few ideas from this article, I think it's super helpful, right? They say we need to foster the right kind of skepticism. And we should equip ourselves with an attitude of benevolent trust in the face of our ignorance. And that's a hugely important word here, trust. I, I need to work on this too. We have to trust ourselves in a way that's helpful and truthful. We have to work to trust other people in ways that are helpful and truthful. Seneca says, right, it's a mistake to trust nobody and it's a mistake to trust everybody. But you have to trust somebody and that is a good thing. Or some people, that's even better, right? So trust other people. And then also what the School of Life is suggesting, what the Stoics would definitely suggest, I think a number of them, would be to trust in the universe. This article talks about God, even quotes the Bible, but it's also saying, or it says that you don't have to even necessarily think of God. If you're an atheist, you can think of fate. You can think of the universe, right? It's better to trust, right? That, like, you know, how do I put it? It's better to trust in ourselves that we will be fine, which is something the article highlights nicely, something Epictetus is basically saying with his quote. And I also think it's healthy to, at times, at the very least, cultivate, or at some times, at the very least, cultivate a trust in the universe that things are generally going to be okay. 
that there will at least be some goodness. The Stoics were big on this, right? The idea for the Stoics, one analogy that Pierre Hadot uses is that the universe, all of time, all of humanity, right, is like an orchestra that's playing a beautiful song. Now, some of those instruments are going to be, in your opinion, right, or maybe we could say universally, they might be ugly. They might sound ugly. They might not sound good. Someone might be messing up their instrument. They might be off tune, right? So that exists. But still, the song being played by everything, by the universe, by humanity, by the orchestra, is still generally beautiful. Maybe that works for you. I'm not sure if it even works for me. But I think it's an interesting idea, right? And I think ultimately that would lead to a happier life if we believe that. I think Albert Camus would agree, too, with this idea that people generally are good. And that, I think, to me is helpful in regards to how we put our trust in other people, how we put our trust in the universe. It's not the idea that everything is good, that everything is truthful and just. Of course not. But the idea maybe would be that, again, I like the orchestra a little bit, right? A few instruments, a lot of instruments might be off, but still there's enough going right here that the song is still enjoyable or enjoyable enough. But if you focus on what's going wrong, you're not going to like the song. If you do nothing to improve the song, right, you're not going to enjoy it. And you can't influence the song too. Maybe we could say that you're the conductor to an extent, right? Or at least your own perception of things. So things out of our control happens, the trumpet player messes up, but the violinist is really good. And again, overall, we might want to try and believe, to put some trust in things and other people and ourselves that we are good. Not perfect, but good. Right? And in this, un, you know, so it's, it, it's, a it's a perspective we can take, we can adopt. Right? That's the kind of, or let's say that, that to me might be the right kind of skepticism that the school of life is in. Because again, we're not, not noticing the flaws, but we're seeing maybe bigger, more benevolent or um, positive picture of things. Right? And we have to train our minds to do this. We have to learn how to switch our minds off sometimes instead of grappling with uncertainty in an unhealthy way. Again, continually making predictions and demands and continually and intensely trying to control the future. We should not torture ourselves with manic, insistent rumination on what cannot ever be known, which again is the future. We might have a general idea, right? But we can never really know the future. It's always going to have some type of unknown involved. So we have to not only come to terms with that and accept it, but we have to shift our way of thinking, right? So we can actually lead a better life. So for them, we can't tell exactly what will happen next year, what the outcome of the test is going to be, who we will love, how our career will pan out, or when we will die. But what we can trust is that whatever unfolds, we will generally be fine. Even death is endurable. And that's hopefully something we talked about with Memento Mori, right? The idea that we can grieve. And even within grief, there's love. There's something positive. We can endure, right? Our human brains are not good at accepting the limits of what can plausibly be known and leaving the rest to the side. We wrestle with this idea. We know the future is unknown now, let's say. We're accepting of that. But then we have to learn basically how to calm down. And what they do, I love this. The article invokes Frederick Nietzsche and Nietzsche's love for cows, which I think is interesting. And also the article has an interesting painting of cows. One is kind of staring off in the distance, one sitting down and relaxing, right? So Nietzsche loved cows. 
Okay, he considered cows, I'm quoting the article here, the most philosophical of all animals. In a section of Thus Spoke Zarathustra, he wrote, unless we change, parentheses, or be converted and become as cows, we shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What lent cows their particular wisdom in Nietzsche's eyes was their advanced capacity not to worry overly about their own futures. They knew how to sit quietly in a field, occasionally swatting away a determined fly, chewing strands of meadow grass, and taking each minute as it came. For all their mental limitations, they had achieved something the human mind is extremely bad at, resigning itself to the limits of what can plausibly be known and leaving the rest to the side. The real symbols of a thinking life should not, in this vein, be a volume of Montaigne or Plato or some other philosophical texts. I'm adding this, although those can be very helpful too. But a well-positioned and suitably reverential image of a cow. So sometimes we have to be like the cow. I like the idea, I mentioned this, you know, I think too with Ryan Holiday talking about a donkey. Very similar, right? The capacity to just be. And Holiday talks about the idea that we're not human doings, we're human beings, right? So that's a little bit about maybe more so like the obsession with productivity and having to always do stuff. But I think with anxiety too, it really applies. And I think of dogs a lot. And I've said this maybe in the podcast. I know I've said this a lot teaching, right? I envy dogs a lot. I envy my sister's dog. And I think dogs and cows are similar in that a dog lives in the moment. And I even think, you know, I don't know much about cows, but dogs experience joy. They experience sadness, right? They miss you when you leave. So dogs have their own problems too. But I think to be like a dog is to live more in the moment. And I think the idea that dogs are, you know, a person's best friend is like really powerful too because dogs, and even in their roles in society, right, they, they protect, they take care of, they offer joy, right, they're active. Dog isn't anxious. The idea, again, of being, best, being the best friend is like they're of service. I love that, right? That's a great philosophy. Cow philosophy, dog philosophy, for anxiety, this naturally human, this naturally occurring human thing. So how can we be less into making predictions, demands, less into hopes even? And we can model ourselves after the cow, model ourselves after the donkey, model ourselves after dogs, and their ability to focus on being friendly, being kind, being of service. Their ability to not worry about tomorrow, but to live in the, in the day, live in the moment, let's say. Maybe, and I love how a lot of the articles with the School of Life, they include paintings, right? Maybe you need an image of a cow. Maybe you need to hang out with dogs more. One of the reasons why maybe too, like subconsciously or consciously now, whatever, when we hang out with dogs, you know, they, dogs pretty much make everybody happy. There may, be, you know, there may be a reminder of how we could be or how we are in some of our best states. We're just in the moment being friendly, enjoying things, helping others, as dogs do so often. Hope this is interesting. A little bit of philosophy, a little bit about animals, make some connections. Maybe buy a painting of cows to remind you. Maybe spend some more time with a dog and think about this. Hope this is helpful. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.